Here to discuss all things NRL, AFL, and anything sports related. Please give a warm Aussie g'day to the footy fanatic and America's own Corey Jackson in Outside the Sheds. Greetings, salutations, and how are you? And welcome to Outside the Sheds, where we meet every week in this tiny little spot of the world where there's a little bit of sanity, um, and I can't guarantee you that anywhere else, but inside this little tiny piece of our world where there's sanity, that it will stay that way. But we can't control that, but we can come together, Shedheads, and here we are. And welcome to Outside the Sheds. I am Corey Jackson, your host, your moderator, your your social liberator, your Shed Adamus. And I can't really go any farther than start off today by saying, come on, you Maroons, because last night, everybody, we watched Origin at its finest. And what I mean by that is the one thing that that you get out of an Origin series, and, and I don't know if people get how big state of origin is around the world i was watching super league last i guess last week and sky sports in england had a gigantic commercial on state of origin on their broadcast for super league and i think that kind of lets you know where the world knows where the greatest rugby league is played and that's in the southern hemisphere but the commercial was incredible. And then they came back from the commercial to the the panel of, of, of talking heads. And that's all they could talk about was knowing all of the players that were the key players in, in, in the State of Origin series and talking about Wayne Bennett and Brad Fittler. And, and it just really kind of comes to crescendo of how great of an event State of Origin is. I've actually heard people say, pundits in the sports world, that they've been to Super Bowls, they've been to other big sporting events in the world, and they say state of origin blows it out of water. And I and I probably, probably agree with them. And the reason I say this is, the Super Bowl would be an incredible event. It's a great spectacle to watch on television. But being at that game, I've heard it's it's very vanilla and cardboard. Now, I have no problem with Mexican vanilla ice cream. Matter of fact, it's one of my favorite. But do you want to eat just Mexican vanilla ice cream without all of the, the, the crushings of Reese's peanut butter cups or Snickers or anything else that you can add to it to bring it out? And that's what the Super Bowl loses. The Super Bowl is a corporate event of white, collared, upper crust individuals who pay the $3,000 a ticket or more to get close to the stadium to say, look who, what my sponsorship deal has got me. Look at these seats, honey. And they're not the fans. They're not the guys from the dog pound in Cleveland. They're not the 12 from Seattle. They're not the steel workers in, in Pittsburgh. Those are not the people that surround a Super Bowl stadium. It is a group of people that probably 
sit in a luxury box all the rest of the season, occasionally in a game, that are surrounding the field. So it doesn't have that that ambiance and that feel and that passion and that vibe and that buzz in that stadium. It is a who's who of I decided to come to my game this year. And to me, that's not what sport is. Sport is fans being around their teams, around a stadium, being able to lift a team's performance from cheers, from emotion. And that's what if you heard players say around the country and around the world during this pandemic year of how different sports has been, it's because there hasn't been that fan interaction, that buzz, that vibe. I'll never forget seeing J.J. Watt from the Houston, Texas, sitting on a bench next to a player and just kind of looking at him, and he goes, man, it's quiet in here. And I think that's what we forget that these guys are coming through. If you're enjoying at home watching these sports go on, no matter if it's state of origin, which thank God Adelaide Oval last night had half capacity, they they had sold enough tickets to pack the stadium, but we don't have to want, want do we want to talk about the old Cove 19 again? But but what these guys are playing on, and if we're still watching some damn good games and whatever sport that you're still watching that are being played in empty stadiums or quarter stadiums or half full stadiums, is that the players on the field are still doing what they love, but they're having to to, to really lift it to a letter to a level that they may have not have had to feel since they were children. Because even in high school games or junior games, there's usually a good fan crowd experience atmosphere for the top echelon athletes in any sport. And these guys don't have that luxury right now. So going back to my original point, That, to me, is why State of Origin might be the greatest, quote-unquote, sporting, three-game sporting event that happens around the world. Now, the thing is, over here in the Northern Hemisphere, a lot of people will question that because some of them don't know the game fully. But if you sit back and watch a State of Origin game from the beginning to end with somebody who knows what the hell is going on, you tell me that it's not intoxicating. You tell me it's not some of the hardest hits you've ever seen. And you tell me, wow, that wasn't incredible. That being said, let's go and talk about this thing they call state of origin. And you have to understand, for a lot of years, state of origin was totally run by New South Wales. And they kind of looked down at the Queenslanders trying to impose their will and trying to show that they could play this game that is rugby league with them. And probably not until Wally Lewis came around did it start to shift. But one thing that you can never take away from Queensland is Queensland has always believed in their heart that they are the heartbeat, that they that they can will themselves to do greater things because they are Queenslanders. And that, I think, is today why you still see such passion from Queensland in standing and saying that they are Queenslanders. And that that putting on that jersey 
makes them something almost superhuman for the next 80 minutes. And why the first time they, every single one of those guys for Queensland can tell you their first jersey and who gave that to them and the pride and the tears that were shed. And then we just went over the last, I guess, 10 out of the last 12 years where Cameron Smith, Billy Slater, Cooper Cronk, Jonathan Thurston, these guys, these larger-than-life figures came in to the maroon side and won eight state of origins in a row. Then lost, won, and then won again. It may never be it may never be done in the foreseeable future, or maybe ever, the dominance that Queensland imposed on state of origin. And how they made New South Wales look like they shouldn't have even been on the field with them. And then when you think about the 40 years of origin, how it did not start that way. So we come to this 2020 state of origin. And what we have is we have a New South Wales Blues team that is looking at winning three origins in a row against a Queensland club that no one's giving them a chance in hell to win the series. I think they had eight debutantes last night for the game. And you're going to try to tell me eight guys who are just putting that jersey on for the first time are going to run out onto Adelaide Oval and take on the Daily M winner. The guy that a lot of people think should have been the Daily M winner. The guy that finished in second in the Daily M voting. And all the other All-Stars, the Daily M winner from the year before. And they're just going to walk out on the field and think they should compete with the Blues. So if you looked at the betting odds and if you looked at a lot of things up until that point, there just wasn't a good chance. And you could get a damn good bet if you wanted to take the Blues to beat the Maroons. Well, the game starts last night and... Again, Adelaide Oval is one of my favorite stadiums in the world. It's got newness to it. It's got the old ambiance of the scoreboard. It's a very special place. And if you've never been there, it is definitely something, if you like to go to stadiums and you like to kind of see what makes a stadium special, outside of Adelaide Oval from the walk and the bridge that the, that the teams do for for. AFL, the Crows, and, and the power when they do the walk of fans to get into that stadium. It's just a really cool, cool place. But running out onto that field last night, a lot of people did not expect to see what we saw. And and, and it was a different crowd. It, it was it was a very different origin match because, because of it getting knocked down to 50% capacity. The South Australians, the, the 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 folks from Adelaide, scooped up. They say eighty-five to ninety percent of the tickets, which left people from Queensland 
and people from New South Wales kind of outside the doors. So there wasn't that that feel in the stadium of one fan base or one crowd base being able to just will their team forward. These guys were kind of put back into the new norm of 2019, excuse me, 2020, COVID-19 difference. You know, let alone they're playing the field on an oval because they are playing at Adelaide Oval. There you go. Good job. Good job, Shedheads. But that is what we saw. And when the ball was kicked off, we knew from the opening kickoff that it was going to be a different game with the drop right off the bat, the knock-on that turned the ball over to Queensland right off the bat. But then again, the Blues lifted up. Fittler's boys lifted up and kept Queensland out. So again, everyone goes back to saying, see, these Maroons are way in over their head. They, and we don't want to say that they didn't deserve to be on the field, but come on, these Blues are just, look at this, it's an all-star team over there. And, and, and let's be honest, it kind of looked like that. For about the first 30 minutes of the first half, because the Blues jumped out to a 10-0 lead. Damian Cook playing from the ruck very, very quickly, getting his own kick and scoring a try. And then Josh Adokar scoring a try. Putting the putting the Blues up 10-0. But then we, I, you know, when I, when I saw it happen, I kind of did that little time stamp that I tell you guys about where you go, huh. I wonder, will that come back to haunt them? And that was Nathan Nathan Cleary missing a point after. So instead of being 12-10, it was 10, excuse me, 12-0, it was 10-0. Anyway, it, it still looked like the Blues very much had it going on and that they were, you know, going to ride this one out. Now, one of the first things that came to mind in that first 30 minutes that really, really had me nervous is when I saw Boyd Cordner take another head knock and have to go off the field with an HIA. Um, and and I'm going to tell you, Shedheads, the brain is something you don't want to mess with. Now, let's be honest, 80% of you don't use it, but the brain is something you don't want to mess with. And, and the constant knock of injury... And we talked about this earlier. Trent Robinson sat Boyd Cordner for six weeks because of HIA. Worried about his head trauma. Worried about what that next concussion could do. Worried about what the lasting effects in this man's life could be after he stopped playing the game. And to see him go off the field with those glazed eyes and a little bit stunned, that look on his face, that thousand-yard stare, kind of like, where am I at? No one was expecting Boyd Cordner to come back out of the sheds to continue to play. And I think I was very happy that was going to be the case because truthfully, I don't think, and this is my personal opinion, Shedheads, I don't think Boyd Cordner should take the field again until I would say round four next NRL season, whenever that's going to be. I'm, I'm hoping it is on time. So 
I would say round four of next year. Soccer players, scientists, doctors have proven over and over again that after you get a concussion, you're more susceptible to getting your next one. It's almost like it opens the door a little bit and then it opens up the door a little bit farther and then a little bit farther and a little bit farther until you're just wide open. And it really shocked me and I cannot stress to you enough how much it shocked me when I saw Boyd Cordner come back out on the field after allegedly passing his HIA. Now, thank the higher power, thank the man upstairs, thank whoever you want to thank. Jiminy Cricket, I hear, is a good one to thank sometimes. But Boyd Corner came back and played, and thankfully, he didn't have any other problems. But after the match, there was a lot of talk. If you watched the post-match interview with Brad Fittler and Boyd Corner, since Boyd is the captain of the, of the Blues, asking and questioning Freddie and Boyd about him coming back on the field. And they both kept stressing they trust the doctors, they trust the doctors, they trust the doctors. And you want to trust the doctors. And you want to trust the professionals. But I don't know how a professional could send Boyd Corner back out there after that. And and hopefully they got it right. But I think only time is going to tell. But that is my diversion off of one of the things that happened in this first half. The second part of this first half is that last 10 minutes of the first half. And that is the 10 minutes when even Gus Gould said, and I quote, they can't seem to put him away, Rabbits. They can't seem to put him away. Queensland is still in this match. The Maroons are still in this match. And I think a lot of people kind of snickered under under their breath or just shook their head because... You know, Gus had a little bit of a, how should I say, not great call of the grand final. Uh, maybe being a little one-sided towards Penrith and not towards the Storm. That's up to interpretation. But Gus Gould was right on. Where even though they were on the ropes, the Maroons did not get knocked out. And the way that the old Clint East would look alike, Wayne Bennett jumped out of his seat to leave the coaching box, to meet his team down in the sheds, to have his halftime talk, I instantly thought, is that old Fox having right where he wants him? Now, I've watched a lot of sporting events, besides rugby league, besides Aussie rules football, AFL, and I've always always had a feeling in the back of my mind or, or just had that sense that this match isn't over or we're about ready to see a team play a card we're not expecting. In that second half, it happened. Now, what you have to understand, and a little bit of side note, because I know some of you are, are, are taking this in and you might not go as deep as you need to go sometimes to understand the intricacies of what's going on. But one of the big things that Wayne Bennett did when he came back as the coach of the Maroons is he brought Mal Meninga, the national coach for Australia, the Queensland great himself, in as one of the coaches for the Maroons, for this young Maroons club. 
And Mal Meninga's presence with Wayne Bennett in that locker room, in those sheds, I don't think we can put a weight on how much, or should I say a price on how much that weight is and how important that was. And I know they say that players still have to play the game, but I also said during the finals of how Wayne Bennett might be the best halftime coach that's ever coached in the NRL. And that's because for whatever reason, no matter how different of backgrounds he may come from some of his players, Wayne has the ability to make guys lift, make guys believe, make guys run through walls for his words, but more importantly, for the crest that's on their jersey. And then you bring in Mal Meninga, who is still a gigantic man. Mal Meninga, on an interview, they asked him would he box Mike Tyson. And he said, yeah, sure, why not? And that tells you right there, Mike Tyson's one of the, mo- the scariest men in the world, in the history of sports. And Mal Meninga, without batting an eye, and, and, and he was being truthful, ladies and gentlemen, shedheads, he was not just saying this to sound like he was braggadocious and the toughest guy in the room. No, Mal Meninga believed I would get in there and fight Mike Tyson tomorrow. And that type of belief is what you need. That is sometimes one of the problems that we have outside of sports, and that's belief in ourselves and belief in doing what is right and belief in going through with the process. Let's say that again. Going through with the process. Daily Cherry Evans, the, co- the, the captain of the Maroons, said it was the best 10 days of getting together with mateship and bringing guys together that he may have that he may have experienced, and that's Wayne Bennett. That's Wayne Bennett. So cut to the second half. We look on the field, the injuries that have happened to the Blues. Boyd Cordner's head knock we talked about. Cameron Murray. We still don't know the extent of his injury, but he came on the field and in one play was back off with with a lower body injury. It's something in the leg. We still don't we haven't been we haven't been informed exactly the 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 depth of the injury, but he was kind of carried off the field and not able to put weight on that leg. So we can only we can only speculate. And then Luke Keery, another guy who's had problems in the past, the five eighth of 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 the blues with an arm injury. And I don't think that was talked about a lot because Luke Carey still was running with the ball. Luke Carey, pound for pound, is the toughest guy in the NRL and maybe in all of rugby league. I think he weighs 38 pounds, drenched. Okay, maybe not, but still. He's never the biggest guy, but he's always a guy that's just straight fire. You know, he, he him running on the short side of the field always somehow creates a mismatch and and causes problems. But he got injured. And this game was going to, yes, the bigs in origin make a difference, but because of the new six again and the speed in the ruck, the importance of the halves firing is everything in a game. When it's a fast game in basketball, you better have some good point guards. In rugby league, you better have some great halves. And an incredible fast dummy half. 
Hooker. And so that was the big question. And I and I had hinted about that earlier that Munster and DCE against Cleary and Curie, which halves were going to rise to the occasion? Because there's a, that's a heck of a lot of experience for the Maroons. And then a first-time combination between Cleary and Luke Curie. So, that being said, second half starts, and you just kind of got the feeling the next try was going to be the biggest probably try in the entire match, even though some people could say a 10-0 lead was important. But there just was that feeling that if the Maroons, who have a history of getting behind and coming back strong, scored that first try, everything's changed. And lo and behold, what happened? A guy that would not have even been in origin, well, he may have been in origin camp, but he definitely was not going to probably be on the field with a maroon jersey. A.J. Brimson scores the first try of his Queensland career. And after that point, Shedheads, it was a matter of determination, heart, character, and will. And if you saw Brad Fittler on the sideline, he sensed it. Freddie's a pretty calm cat. because I'm saying that because that's something Freddie would call himself. He's a calm cat. But you could see Freddie from his shiftiness in his chair to him putting his hands in and out of his pockets could sense that Wayne Bennett had got his hands on his team at halftime and that they were getting ready to come out in the second half and he had to see what his team could match with him. And it after that point, it it was a slanted field. And I and I have to I just have to say that Queensland dominated the second half. Truthfully, Queensland dominated the game from the 10 minute mark or the last 10 minutes of the first half. Brimson scores. Then Xavier Coates. After being sprung because of Ben Hunt being interjected. And let's not even... We haven't even talked about Ben Hunt yet. But Ben Hunt might have been that shot of petrol. That monster energy drink. That spike to the vein. That might have got the Maroons really firing. And a lot of people thought that he got substituted in. And was brought on to take the place of the hooker. But then we look out. And they're both out there. The starting hooker and Ben Hunt. And in DCE, Daily Cherry Evans said after the game that it doesn't really matter where you bring Ben Hunt or where you put him on the field. He can play anywhere. But the energy that he brings is what we need. And Ben Hunt was the start of the second try that, that sprung Xavier Coates streaking down the field. Xavier Coates, a player who, like so many other Maroons, seems to save his best play for that jersey.
and then Cameron Munster. And I and I, and, and I can't even I can't even think how many of you would still be putting ice on your knee for the injury that Cameron Munster had. But let's let's stop. Two knee injuries to the same knee in the same season, and he's still on the field. At, a week after, who knows what his blood alcohol level is, let alone after his celebrations after winning the grand final with the Storm. But he has to cut that short, probably take about 20 intravenous, how should I say, uh, bags of a little bit of fluid to, to wash the system. And there he is again. Scoring a try. Running the length of the field. On a knee, I don't think we know how bad or how damaged it might be. We see the tape on it. And scoring. Again, halves play. And then the thing that we did not expect. The thing that we did not expect. Because Nathan Cleary is a gun with a leg. That guy's accuracy on kicks... I think he's got the highest percentage in the league this year in his kicks. But DCE, who if you watch him kick for Manly this year, and if you watch him kick the first kick of the game when he missed a penalty kick, slotted all three of his conversions after tries. And Nathan Cleary missed two of his three. There's origins. That's what we're talking about. One side, for whatever reason, when they put that jersey on, their game lifts. And I know a lot of guys who would have missed that first penalty try, kick, and it would have warped them the whole rest of the match. No matter how good their legs are. And DCE not just kicked three conversions after, but had a little fade on him, had a little jerk on him, put it on a string. And when it, you know, when the dust, when the dust settled and this and the siren went off, that was the difference in the match. That was the difference in the match. And if it, it, you know, I know, I know some of you, some of you tab professionals, aka gamblers, if you could have got a line on what the odds were for DCE out kicking Nathan Cleary, I'm happy you couldn't because you guys would not have homes today. So I'm happy you're still in your homes because that wouldn't have been the case. Because he outkicked him. And he outplayed him. We won't even talk about how the game ended with the light try from Josh Adokar. Making it a match. The Maroons win 18-14. And if you think about that, if Nathan Cleary kicks two of those three and, and matches DCE, it's an 18-18 game. But he doesn't. 
And I feel bad for Nathan Cleary because there's already people that have been coming after him because they think that he had a subpar performance in the grand final. A lot of people thought that Nathan Cleary should have been sat and rested and not played Origin 1. But Brad Fittler is tight with the with the Cleary family. And some people always say the best and the, the best thing you should do is to get back on the field as quickly as possible to help you forget about anything that might have happened before because the best way to forget is to play. And I'm not going to say that it was a lasting hangover, but it makes you go, huh, when you see Nathan Cleary not kick the way we've seen Nathan Cleary kick all season. Or is that just the weight of origins? Now, I will tell you, maybe my my favorite moment of the entire evening after the match, after the Maroons triumphed, and again, I, I'm not going back to stress about the quick whistle with, with the Blues in attack position, possibly having one more play at the ball with a whistle maybe coming a couple seconds early. Because truthfully, the Blues should have never been in that position. And we know how origin, our origin's always going to have to end frantic and out of control. And again, it ended that way. But they wouldn't have had to be in that position if they would have capitalized on when they had a chance to capitalize from kicks to lifting their game. They got out physicaled by the Maroons. And a lot of people thought that the Blues were, were going to be stronger and faster than the Maroons. And it didn't look that way whatsoever. Whatsoever. So, back to my favorite moment of the night. It didn't happen on the pitch. It didn't happen on the field. It actually didn't happen on the ex- the interior part of Adelaide Oval. It happened not outside the sheds, but inside the sheds. And that was watching Wayne Bennett dance. And I will tell you, even though a coach cannot put the jersey on, the shorts on, the boots on, and go out on the field. A coach gets that feeling of being a coach and why it's so addictive and why you see coaches age almost the moment they say they're retiring from coaching because they're not around that youth, that exuberance, that feeling, that 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 live, that just feeling of... I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. And watching Wayne Bennett in the sheds, in the locker room after that match, dancing and singing and hugging and shaking hands. I don't know I don't know if I've seen the man more happy or more proud since I've watched him. That, that stoic non-emotion was gone. And that's Origins. Because last time I checked, I've watched the, the Patriots win way too many Super Bowls. And Belichick is still mumbling up on stage. Belichick is still acting like he's getting ready to go for a proctology exam uh, tomorrow. But the great sensation of happiness and joy 
of bringing a victory home for Queensland, I think that might right there be that moment of watching the two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes that they kind of let us in that locker room inside the sheds afterwards might be the difference between the Blues and the Maroons at this current stage. And maybe over the last 15 to 20 years, truthfully. So that leads us to origin two. That leads us to put up or shut up. That leads to defend the fort. That leads to can we go into enemy territory and win? And those are the questions that need to be answered and will be answered in a week's time. Because origin two, again, is next Wednesday, depending on where you're at. It's very early Wednesday morning for some of us on the North American side of the world and is very late for some of you down in the Southern Hemisphere. But that being said, it will be at Anzac Stadium. It will be in the backyard of the Blues. And it will be a reckoning. Can Freddie, Brad Fittler, get his Blues to defend their fort defend their home and come out and and start fast like they did and to continue to play fast and capitalize. And, and, and like any origin series, after game one, there will be changes in game two from injury and from players that, heck, didn't play the way you hoped they would. And those are the things that we don't know yet, especially at this time. We don't know if Boyd Corner is going to play. We don't know the extent of Luke Carey's injury. We don't know if some guys have picked up injuries. Cameron Murray, anybody else. We don't know actually who is 100% healthy or who needs to be out there. James Tedesco looked all right, but let's be honest. James Tedesco didn't do too terribly much and actually had two knock-ons during the game. And I know he was bringing a knee injury into Origins. This is ne- this has never been done before. We've never played Origins after the season. These guys are usually halfway through the season, so they're a little beat up. But they've just finished a, cam- a campaign like we have never experienced before in the game. So we're going to see a lot. And a lot of this will be the belief that a coach can instill in these two teams into bringing it home. And that's why I said Origin 1 was so important. Because now, whoever won that only had to win one of the next two. And for for Queensland to have won it now, they can go in, play their hearts off, and if they lose, well, guess what? We're going to Suncorp for Game 3. We're going... To, as some blues say it, to hell. The humidity. The Queensland Maroons fans. We're going there to play game three. And I want to see the blues come up there and beat us on our soil. And that's the mentality of the Maroons. And that is what's so scary if you're a blues fan. What you're going to have to go up against now. Because even if we do wake up. Even if we do think that we can rise to the occasion do we really believe we can win at Suncorp? And that's what they're thinking. And that's why Brad Fittler will have to do the greatest coaching turnaround in his career as New South Wales coach. 
because he's going to have to outcoach the Fox. He's going to have to outcoach Wayne Bennett and Mal Meninga. Most coaches can't outcoach one of them, let alone two of them. And that's what we're up against. That's what we're going to see. And again, we go back to how healthy is Luke Carey's arm and do we shake up the Habs pairing for the Blues because I guarantee you what's not switching up, DCE and Cam Munster, they're going to be there. So, that is what we have in store for us. It's a 3 o'clock a.m. start in America. And I think it's a 6 or 7 o'clock start down under. And I think we already know. You guys already know the time. You don't need my help for that. Let's go on to the guns that we found. The guns. Because I promise you, even though the regular season for the AFL and the NRL are over, that you were still going to have our fair share of guns in the game. And origin, by God, origin is no different. And I have to start with, and I was I was really pulled all over the board because like I said, I talked about Ben Hunt earlier and how him being infused in the game really kind of changed the way that the, the Maroons started to move the ball around. But I still have to go, my number one gun was DCE, Daily Cherry Evans. And DCE didn't do anything outlandish where you would be like, oh my gosh. But he had 138 running meters, four tackle breaks, one line break, one try assist. Oh, excuse me. That's wrong numbers. See, this is why, by gosh, you read the right lines, right? No, DC had, he was, here's the big thing. I've already told you this. He was three of three on his conversions. So even though he didn't score a try, he still tallied up six points which was the difference in the game. But he had 163 total meters, three tackle breaks, 194 kicking meters, and 34 tackles. That's a well-rounded game for a half, let alone an origin half. And when I say half, not half a game, but half. Half back. But DCE, being the captain of the Maroons... He coached, he captains totally different than, than, than Cam did, Cameron Smith. But his, his non-too-high, non-too-low, he is really becoming the origin captain that he was chosen to be. Guys follow him. And, and the thing about DC that's so beautiful is he took some real stick early on in his captaincy, in his playing there. It wasn't easy for him to get on the field playing behind Thurston, Cooper Cronk. But DCE just continued to hold, continued to do the little things, continued to learn from these greats and possible future immortals. And now you look at him, and after all the ridicule and and, and vitriol that was, was, was laid at his doorstep, he's now come in being that Maroons captain that is almost won in an upset the series last year in Game 3 and is in the Catbird seat this year. 
So DC is by every means my number one. My number two gun. And I know you guys are thinking I'm going to say somebody who has to score a try, but I think if you watch the game, you don't always have to score a try to be a gun, to be a guy that changes just the way your team goes, or to just be a quote-unquote stud gun, period. And my number two is Dane Gagai. And Dane Gagai had two incredible tackles to prevent tries, which just goes down as tackles, right? But when you see a guy hit Jack Whiten the way that he hit Jack Whiten too, which there's another guy that your Daily M winner who might not play the next game because he ran off the field with a lower body injury and Dane Gagai crushed him. But Dane Gagai had 138 run meters, four tackle breaks, one line break, one try assist. And just every time they needed a big play, he was there. He is the he is the, the the perfect player when I say when he puts that jersey on, Dane Gagai lifts. And he plays like like there's no other place in life or in the world that he'd rather be. And that he understands the weight of that jersey. I will tell you, for the Blues, the guy that I have probably seen the last 10 years that has shown that is, is Paul Gallon. But Paul Gallon is never going to beat you in a race. Paul Gallon is just going to go inside and do the dirty work, right? He's going to get you a few meters every carry. He's going to get you in place and, and, and just be a leader. But Dane Gagai can change. He's a sports car that has a gigantic crash gate in the front that will go right into you. And he is fun to watch. I am always looking on the field where Dane Gagai is at because he's always going to somehow try to find his way to get into play, get into being right where he needs to be. And those are those those fun nuances to watch in a match, especially when you go into origin or, or a big, big, big playoff game. So Dane Gagai is easily my number two gun. And if if you watch Origin 2 and when you watch Origin 2 and when you watch Origin 3, just watch Dane Gagai. And I can guarantee you he will be an in, he will be a major major part. He will carry incredible weight for this next match. My number 3 because hey, I am equal opportunity as much as I possibly can be. I am fair. I am your shed Adamas. My number 3 Josh Adokar. I've met the Fox. And the Fox is that guy who will make you laugh, who always has a smile on his face. He's intoxicating in the way that he just seems to love life. And when I met him, you know, he didn't know me from, you know, the next five people around me. But he introduced, he, 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 Instantly made me feel special. He instantly talked to me like he knew me. And I'll never forget that. But when you watch him now, he's always the guy with a smile on his face. He's always the guy with a laugh that everybody knows. 
But he is a straight-up gun. And if you've seen the guy without his shirt on, he's not just a... A lot of people think that he's just a horse out there running. A, 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 a fast horse that can win you a race. Even though by any means he can because he... <clears throat> when, the blue, when the Maroons tried a kick into the corner to check Josh Adokar's speed, they, I think they had him... At 36 kilometers an hour, which is 22 miles per hour, running down the field, full tilt. But the thing that a lot of people don't pay attention to is the physical force that Josh Adokar has become. When he played with the Tigers and early on in his career with the Storm, he was this sleek little guy that sometimes you look like, oh, I hope he doesn't get hurt in the tackle. Now Josh Adokar has had years under the Bellamy system. And he is a specimen in physicality. If he hits you, he's going to hurt you. He's going to drag you in a touch. He's going to hold you down. He is a physical, physical, physical player. And he got two tries, 116 total meters, three line breaks, four tackle breaks, and 14 tackles. And some of them are some pretty crushing tackles in that match. And to me, he was he was the one bright spot of the entire team for New South Wales last night. But easily, Josh Adokar was my number three gun. And if the Blues are going to protect the fort and try to make Game three of Origins, not just a rubber match. Josh Adokar is going to have to be, again, a very, very, very key, integral part of the Blues team. So there we go. There's our 4020s. There are our guns. But like I always promise you, no matter how much I want to stay inside this bubble, we are going to go outside the bubble. We're going to talk about some things that are happening outside the NRL, outside the AFL. And the first place I want to start, and this kind of still has a little bit of a a bead on the NRL because it has to deal with Sonny Bill Williams and his team in the Super League, the Toronto Wolfpack. But the Toronto Wolfpack were rejected admission back into Super League. And that, to me... Some people say is why Super League is 10 years behind the NRL in the Southern Hemisphere's game. And it's because of decisions sometimes that they're bored and that their powers that be make. And there's a lot of guys and a lot of bigwigs in Super League that were not happy about the code, their, their league going across to the Canadians. And we're very down on the inclusion of the Toronto Wolfpack. But the Toronto Wolfpack started at the base and have been in a pretty incredible side, winning and moving up year after year after year to get their place in the Super League. And I know some of us, some of you, Some of us family inside the sheds here, us shed heads, have lost businesses, jobs, 
family members, loved ones during COVID. And I think I said earlier that this isn't over. Don't listen to pundits that say it's behind us because it's not. It's still very much here. And if you want more proof that it's still very much here, a professional sports club may fold because of COVID. And that's the Toronto Wolfpack. But the really sad thing that we're not talking about, because yes, nobody wants to see clubs or businesses shut down from this. But the really sad thing is, there's a Toronto Wolfpack team, and that is quote-unquote players that have not been paid. That some of them have contracts for the tw- all the way up through the 2021-2022 seasons. And they still haven't seen their 2020 money since covid and the shutdown of Super League originally. You had guys who were stuck in England and couldn't get out, who didn't have money. Think about that. Think about the Lakers or 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 the Patriots or the Dodgers playing a series in Madrid, Spain, and all of a sudden... Things get shut down because of a virus. And these guys have made their homes over there or whatever. And all of a sudden, the Dodgers, Patriots, Lakers said, oh yeah, we can't pay you now. And we're not going to bring you back home. Is that just crazy? Am I off off my rocker to think about that? The type of money... That are, that's being thrown around by some of these clubs. And I know there's always going to be a hierarchy system, not just in our day-to-day lives, but very much there are the teams and then the also-rans. And you have to make sure that, that the, the, the teams, those big, those big quote-unquote teams that have never had problems with money, don't continue to pull away from the other clubs because then... It's not even a competition anymore. It's about what money can bring you. And we know that that's the case. Money buys elections. Money buys places for teams to stay. Because money allows teams to buy players that other teams can't afford. Money allows, quote-unquote, marketing deals and to continue to happen, which brings in money for the team. And if you don't believe me, Folks, open up a book. I promise you, that dead bark will not bite you. Open it. You might even like it, because I love the smell of books. But but that's something else. But to not be able to play your players that you're asking to put your body on the line is the biggest smack in the face. And that Super League has not jumped over the fence, like high hurdler Edwin Moses back in the early 80s. Look at you, look at me dropping a little track and field. But they're not hurdling to make sure that these guys aren't taken care of. There's no words for it. There's no words for it. But back to the matter at hand, the Toronto Wolfpack were rejected. And they will not be in Super League in 2021. And they may never be at club again. We don't know. Super League has already said that they are bringing independent body 
if you believe that, in to pick a 12th club for next season. Toulouse in France is looking like they really are trying to inject themselves into that 12th spot. But if we're trying to grow the game, and that's all you hear, we want to grow the game, we want to grow the game, we want to grow the game. How can you shut down a franchise? How can you shut down the growth of the game? Because you might not like your little brother or cousin playing along with you. They could be a threat to the bigs. I don't know. But I know next year, 2021, they're still saying they want to hold the 2021 Rugby League World Cup. And how are you planning on having a USA team that look like they probably should be playing cornhole more than playing rugby league? A Canadian team that was, let me do the figures, wasn't even there last year. How can you expect these big countries to come into a game when you know they're sent, you're sending them out to slaughter from the beginning? It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And it won't happen. And that is what rugby league has to ask themselves. Are they happy staying in different parts of the world and being fine just there? Or do they want to grow their games? And right there, that decision that the Bedfred Super League did by not including the Toronto Wolfpack going forward at least in 2021, I think shows where the powers wanted to stay. Now let's stay in that Super League bubble. And also at the beginning of this week, a vote came down to end the Super League regular season. Well, by God, you think you'd have to because truthfully, they usually start back up in the end of January or February. So do you want to give these guys a weekend off before you start the next season? So yes, you need to end the season. But it's now official. The season ends after, or excuse me, the regular season ends as of Friday where Wigan will play Huddersfield. Again, you have some NRL ties there in Jackson Hastings for Wigan. And other players on that team. Aiden Caesar with Huddersfield. But this is big. Because this match, if Wigan wins, Wigan is your regular season champion. If Wigan loses, the Saints, St. Helens, is your regular season champion. Because right now those two clubs are one and two. Wigan being on top. But this is how Super League is going to finish this year. Wigan in number in Wigan or St. Helens is one or two. Warrington, Catalans, Leeds, and Hull FC. And they're going to start the playoffs from that point and go forward in this so normal 2020, the year of the Cove. And we'll see. But I think a lot of that is still overshadowed by some of the decisions the big power brokers 
at the Bread Fred Super League corporate office is made. And I think we'll have to see going forward if they can catch up. Because I, I really get that feeling every year the NRL distance themselves farther and farther and farther away from the upper crust of the Super League. The Betfred Super League. And I don't see that changing. Especially with the decision making that's being done today. My last outside the bubble... We're going to go back to the to a little hard court and round ball because it just came down that we're waiting for player vote, but it looks like it's going to go through, that the NBA season will start on December 22nd. It will be a 72-game season, which means that it looks like December 1st is when camps will reopen up again. For these teams to, my God, doesn't it feel like the season just ended? Anyway, that these teams are back in the grind. Which is fascinating because we have no idea if we're going to be playing in empty stadiums. We have no idea if we're going to do bubble cities where certain clubs will play series against teams in those bubble cities. So you won't. You're going to play all three of your games against one team that weekend or that, you know, those next two or three days. And that's how we're going to, no one knows. It's so crazy how we're just stepping off in the liquid. We're stepping out of the plane and we really have no idea what tomorrow is going to bring. But we do have that, that it looks like a kickoff date of December 22nd a 72-game season for the NBA. Staying inside the NBA, I, I I will tell you, Shedheads, I'll never understand how certain coaches, GMs, who have never brought championships, who, I, I don't know if it's because they look good in a suit, if they have the right type of hair care product, if somebody's fallen in love with their dimples, I, you tell me. But Daryl Morey, who is the, with the Houston Rockets, after the Rockets once again crashed out of the NBA Finals, who never brought a championship to Houston, who never got over the Golden State Warriors, Daryl Morey parts ways with the Rockets. But somehow, just days later, is the president of basketball operations now for the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, I don't understand, personally, myself, how a guy who made the entire country of China upset because of words that he had about China early in the season when we actually had fans in stadiums who never got his team that he brought was brought in to get them a championship in Houston who made a unique trade of send, bringing Russell Westbrook from Oklahoma City to Houston to set up small ball in a big league well, a guy who's made those decisions 
after decisions, after decisions, can find and fall into a job with maybe one of the best top three teams in the Eastern Conference. And then say that he doesn't like any of the direction they're going in and he's probably going to do some major changes. And why I say that is because now there is word coming that Daryl Morey is putting in place a trade with his old club in Houston to try to bring James Harden, the beard, the man who's never seen an area on the court where he can't shoot from, but can't win the big game, to Philadelphia. So you're going to bring the problems that you had in Houston to a organization in Philadelphia who a lot of people will say is underachieved as well, but we're just going to bring Houston's problems to Philadelphia now because what that probably means is down under, my folks down there, you know your basketball giant is in Philadelphia. Respect the process and the Melbourne kid. And that looks like they're going to break up that team. They're going to break up either Joel Embiid, which I have a feeling they're going to keep Joel Embiid. And they're probably going to get rid of one of the ex-Kardashian boyfriends. That was that was that was mean, wasn't it? I apologize. <laughs> Shedheads, I'm so sorry. I did I did I really go there? Because I the couple things I'll promise you of always bringing my opinions, giving you some fun, and not mentioning the Kardashians. And I broke my I broke my promise, didn't I? I'm gonna have to go forward, but Big Ben is probably on the move. Big Ben is probably maybe going to Houston. And for what? I, I you know, I, I know they say that he and him and Joel don't get along, but last time I checked, can I ask you guys a question? Did Shaq and Kobe get along the entire time they were in the Lakers jerseys? Huh. Well, that being said. I still cannot get my head around guys who continue to find jobs season after season, no matter if they've won or not won. And to me, you can win all you want, but you bring home silverware. You bring home trophies. You bring home something that looks like we're getting better instead of just staying stationary. Because to me, that's not progress. And I know progress to everybody is something different. We all know that, don't we? But, you ask me, you tell me, you can ask me, I'm going to tell you, I already did. You tell me why that makes a lot of sense. Because instantly when I heard Daryl Morey was going to Philadelphia, I instantly thought they're never going to get over the hump. And then you look at a a club like the Miami Heat with, with Pat Riley and Jimmy Buckets, big face coffee, you see that going on. And it makes you just wonder. You look at franchises who do it the right way, franchises who make smart decisions, franchises who think outside the box but also know what they have, and they continue to flourish. Everyone forgets in the offseason this year, at one time the Los Angeles Lakers had LeBron and two other players. Let's say that one more time. The Los Angeles Lakers at 
before the season started, as they were putting their team, had LeBron and two other players under contract. And they won the NBA championship. If that doesn't, once again, show you how great LeBron is, one, but two, what it means to put together and have a front office. A lot of people picked on Rob Palenka, but you know what? He did what he had to do. And he made things happen. And he put pieces together that won a championship. The year that Kobe passed away. That same season. Anyway, that is where I'm delving. That's what I'm talking about. And that is outside the bubble. Folks, I know right now, Shedheads, that 2020 has been a year like none of us will ever forget. Some of us will want to forget it. We're never forgetting it. It is like that brand on the perennial cheek of the backside that we may sit down a couple years from now, but may still itch, if you know what I mean. I hope it gets better. It's almost over, so I don't know what else. I'm not going to say it can't get worse. I'm definitely not going to say that because you'll be hunting me uh, longer than this brand on my rear end is going to be there. But during these really trying times, the one thing I can say, I don't care if you agree with the person next to you. I don't care if you guys will never see eye to eye. The only thing that truthfully matters is that you give people respect and that you respect their belief, that you respect and try to understand where they're coming from and that you try to understand why they feel the way they do. And as long as they're not coming at you from a place of fear and fear of the unknown or fear of non-fact, listen to everything else they say. Don't let it take a natural disaster. Don't let it take a meteor coming to hit this country, this world, to send us back to the Stone Ages. Don't let it take a pandemic, which we that was proven didn't help change anything. Don't let it take something that dire and drastic to make you understand that we're all human beings and that we're all flesh and blood. And no matter if you believe in the Quran or the Bible or any type of religious belief that you have, we're still humans. And just because you're a Christian human or a Muslim human or whatever you are, we're all humans. So treat somebody like you want to be treated. Smile at somebody like you want to be smiled at. And don't be an ass like nobody wants to see. Even though I do like donkeys, I will tell you. I, I have a, a real, real big place in my life for the jackass. May have been called that too, but that's something totally different. But shitheads, that's enough. I'm off my soapbox because I have things to do, places to go. But like I tell you week in and week out, stay out of trouble. Don't get caught. Or especially if it's your bad side, don't get caught. But we will be here next week to talk Origin 2 and everything else this crazy, crazy world brings up. But this has been Outside the Sheds. I am Corey Jackson. See ya! And that was another fantastic episode of Outside the Sheds with Corey Jackson, talking all things 
NRL, AFL, and all things sports. So please remember to smash the subscribe button and share this with your family and friends and show them what Australian sport is all about.